If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the PSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. This is your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of BSN Rockies, and on this episode of the podcast, going to be taking a handful of questions or as many questions as I can from our group here on the Facebook Live, uh, a couple of people from uh, the Twitter who've sent in some questions and then wanted to read a few more of those proud to be a Rockies fan moments that I didn't get to a few podcasts ago. There, There were a lot of fantastic responses to those. I think they're picking up everybody in this time of frustration, but because I've already gone over the series against the Diamondbacks, and I'm not sure what the virtue would be in previewing this series against the Miami Marlins, other than to say with John Gray and Herman Marquez going, this is a really good chance for the Rockies to you know, finally go out there and win a series, but it's not going to matter that much, right? I mean, the Marlins really have been the only team in the National League that's been out of it all season. So showing up and winning some baseball games will certainly feel better than losing them. And everyone's going to feel really down if they come out and play poorly and and lose or like get swept by the Marlins. They're in kind of a lose-lose situation here are the Rockies because even if they win, it's just, hey, way to go. Uh, You beat the worst team in the National League. And if they lose, then it's, hey, you lost to the worst team in the National League. But uh, so so I don't know. We're going to be spending a lot of time in the next couple of days doing big picture stuff. Uh, talking about uh, some of these other 
things going around, whether it's particularly with the Rockies or in the world of baseball. I wanted to take a minute here before I do get into the questions to give a shameless plug to my own article. And by the way, while I'm shamelessly plugging things, we had a company meeting last night. And I just wanted to shout out more at the beginning of the podcast for if, if you guys are, are enjoying this, I really would appreciate if you can give us a five star rating either on iTunes or Facebook or wherever you can give us a rating. Also, if you can write a little one sentence, it really, really helps us out. It helps people find us and, and continue to grow this community. And if you haven't yet subscribed to bsndenver.com, articles like the one that I published today, I'm hoping will give you reason to continue subscribing uh, through even these rough times for the Rockies or as the team, you know, stops playing games. We're going to have an offseason, but we're going to be producing a lot of content like this. Uh, I talked to Bud Black for between five and ten minutes. It was probably about seven and a half. I'd have to go back and look one on one about the modernization of the strike zone, the electronic strike zone, what it's like with him and his pitchers dealing with the fact that they have this tool and this resource to measure themselves, but that that doesn't always match the results that they're getting. And there were some really interesting things that came out of our conversation. And I think the biggest one to me, as I paired it with the conversation we had on this podcast earlier in the season with Mark T. Williams of Boston University, who did all that fantastic research, finding that over 34,000 calls were missed last year and, and all that other stuff. What really emerged to me was this sort of singular, super frustrating truth. We're already using the technology to be the final arbiter on what is a ball and what is a strike. We're just not letting the umpire in on that action because now we live in a world where literally every single player, and this is, this is what's funny about it to me, very few players have come out on record in favor of an electronic strike zone. And there are a lot of reasons why that's true. The very first and most obvious is that umpires will see it as an attack on them and they will take it out on you at the plate, which almost completely proves the point that umpires have too much power and are sometimes willing to exercise that power in ways that electronic systems would not in, in retributional ways. But putting that part of it aside and, and getting away from the potential motives of not calling a, a strike or a ball correctly, what we see here is that the technology is already being used by the pitchers, the hitters, the managers. And I asked Bud Black, if you got a guy out there and he walks the bases loaded, historically speaking, you know, 20 years ago, that would have just been a no, no, no matter what, a no, a no, 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 no matter what. <laughs> You can't do that. You got to know what the umpire's got on any given day and everyone's going through that. But now we live in a world where that pitcher can go back and look at the strike zone. And if a bunch of the pitches were there, Bud Black admits, yeah, I can't come down super hard on that guy because he's going to say, look, buddy, I threw it right where I wanted to and I threw it in the zone. It shouldn't have been ball four. It should have been strike three. And we can all do this and we all do this. So while the players won't come out and admit, I do think that it's probably like the ones who are willing to come out on, on record 
typically are the ones who are against it. It's much safer, quite frankly, to in any situation to come out in favor of the status quo. Not sure they got the technology right. I like the human element. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking up the umpires. You're not going to get in any trouble for that, right? No chance of, of retribution for saying, I like how it is. But what every single player in baseball, and it's very difficult to find anything that every single player in baseball does, but over 90% have at some point or another gone to check the box. Love it, hate it, indifferent, whether they hated it when it was introduced or were just curious. Whatever their position has been, there's been a call made against them, and they went and checked that box to see where that pitch was. Now, this is what's funny. If the box doesn't confirm what they believe, they might go, ah, see, it's not perfect anyway, and that really was a strike and blah, 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 blah. But if it confirms what they thought, which was that they got screwed, They use it, again, as the final arbiter. Okay, I was right. I shouldn't have swung at that pitch. Or, okay, I was right. I did throw a strike, and I didn't need to throw a better pitch there next time. I don't need to change my game because next time the umpire might call that a strike. One of the things that blew me away after we had these conversations was that this year the Rockies introduced, they have all these digital displays now that show us what the lineup is or Uh, Other little bits of information, who's on the injured list, uh, the schedule for the day, and uh, who who the umpires are. And on the digital display, so it kind of like cycles through, right, like these digital displays will do. And when it comes to the umpires, there's a big, pronounced, hot and cold zone for that day's umpire. And you can go up and look and see parts of the strike zone, usually at the top left and top right, with these big empty spots where strikes that are rule book definition strikes just are not being called. And so, yeah, it's nice that they give pitchers that information, but it's so weird. Again, we're using the technology to tell the pitcher where the strike zone is. We're just doing so in an extraordinarily inefficient manner. And that's what stuck out to me about this whole conversation. And and I asked Buddy, I said, do you think the strike zone has gotten better because of the technology that we've already implemented? And at first he just said, well, I think it's gotten more consistent, which in my book immediately means that it's gotten better. But he went on to say, you know, it probably has. It's probably gotten better. And it's forced pitchers to throw a little bit more to action where certain guys used to be able to get an extra inch to sometimes four or five inches off the outside part of the plate. Uh, That doesn't happen nearly as often as it used to. The whole Greg Maddox and Bud Black said he used to do this, you know, earn a couple of extra inches. Not really uh, a fair way because some games you get that and some games you don't. And so as Bud Black said in the article, it has become a more consistent and therefore a better strike zone even though the technology that we're using is just a half measure. It's a thing that says, you missed it, get it better next time, not you missed it, so we'll get it right for you, which I think is very clearly the next step. And there are a lot of things to be talked about, of specifics of the technology. Um, But as I discuss in the piece, baseball has survived many, many, many more tumultuous changes than just a more perfect enforcement of the strike zone. And for me, I think the other clear thing that emerged that I wrote in the piece was, I think the burden now has got to switch to the people 
who prefer the status quo, that if they really want to make the argument that they should never have given us the box in the first place and there is no exact strike zone, they want to tell me, hey, a strike's whatever the umpire calls it, man. That's just what it is. That's what a strike is. That's what a ball is. It's whatever the umpire calls it. Then their issue is with the inventors of the game of baseball and the rule book. The burden of proof then should be on them to petition Major League Baseball to change the rule book. Because in the rule book, it does not say a ball is whatever an umpire says and a strike is whatever an umpire says it is. It says that a strike is anything in the space over the plate from the shoulders, or I'm sorry, from the knees to the top of the letters. That's a strike. And we just haven't had the perfect method of measuring that until recently. And rather than spend the time and money to better that technology and implement it in a way that people aren't afraid of just because it's something new that they don't understand. Major League Baseball has spent time implementing rules that automatically punish people for ever even talking about the strike zone, which is a part of the reason why I can't get anybody to go on record in favor of saying, yeah, of course it would be better, even though most of the players I talk to are. But they live in this world of punitive measure measures that you get tossed automatically from a game depending on who you are some uh, madison bumgarner can argue balls and strikes for a lot longer and again that's they they add this ambiguity into it this space this subjectivity where it's up to the judgment of the umpire whether or not you've argued balls and strikes too much to get an automatic ejection and there's an automatic fine that goes along with getting ejected for arguing balls and strikes i spent more time protecting the umpires from getting something wrong that they then gave us the technology to see that they got wrong. We're using their methods. The same methods that Major League Baseball uses to analyze umpires is what I'm using to analyze umpires. So, yeah. In, in my mind, the fight is over in terms of we're already using the technology. Like I said, it's, it's already there. We're just using it in a, in a super inefficient way. And we're at the, the tipping point now. It's going to happen. I would suspect sometime this postseason there will be a ball or strike call that gets missed that swings a game, and this will really, really ramp up because they're experimenting with it now in the Atlantic League. But the time should be put on making the system as best as possible, not dragging their feet on whether or not it was ever necessary to begin with, which they've been doing for the last 20 years, really, since giving us the information in the first place. So I hope everyone gets the opportunity to read through that. There was some other stuff in there, more specifically uh, Bud Black talking about the the pros and cons of the electronic strikes, and mostly just the pros. Uh, he did say, you know, let's approach it with caution, but I think more than any other manager in baseball, he is been public about saying yes i'm very interested in that and and this was a guy who's a pitcher and a finesse pitcher as well and and some of the data suggests that this is actually going to benefit hitters that's what's that's another thing that's really funny about this there's a, a great debate about whether or not the electronic strike zone would help pitchers more or would help hitters more and you know who i think comes out best in a world with an electronic strike zone the best ball players that's who it benefits the one the most. The people who lay off the really, really close pitch, but that was out of the zone. Now they're not going to get rung up on that just because it was really, really close and the umpire's caught up in the momentum of the game. The pitcher who can just dance around the edges and just barely nick the thing. People act like that's some 
bad potential consequence that pitchers could just throw breaking stuff that barely touches. I'm like, great. Swing the bat more at anything that's close then. It's going to force action. But I think the, the players who are benefit are not necessarily pitchers and it's not necessarily hitters. It's the people who have the best mastery of the strike zone in either element of that dynamic. The better players are the ones who win out. And that's what it should be about is making sure that less of the guesswork and chaos has to go into the game of baseball that already has plenty of randomness and luck involved in it so that we have to play 162 games, get a few of these other things out of it so that the cream can rise to the top, so that the very, very best in the game are more often rewarded for their best efforts. That's who I think uh, benefits the most from it. So let me answer a couple of questions here before I go to our first break. By the way, I mentioned we had a company meeting last night. And we were drinking some Breckenridge brews. I got to tell you guys, I am, I'm really on board with this whole thing. I, I know they're the official beer of BSN Denver now. I've always been a fan uh, of the Breck brews, but it, it's been, I, I got to say, it's been a partnership that's just absolutely, I can't even believe we get to do some of these stuff. They have concerts out there at their uh, facilities. You got to check them out. They're doing all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, they, they got a, they got great food out there too, but obviously all of the beers that you can drink, the vanilla porter, the oatmeal stout, the avalanche amber, and of course everyone's new favorite. We were we were all drinking strawberry sky, hanging around. You can pick it up at Blake Street Tavern or some of our other sponsors, Total Bev. Make sure you check them out. Uh, any of your local liquor stores, you can get apps from. Uh, I think Total Bev will tell you what they've got in stock, so you can go down and make sure you can find the the strawberry sky, but it, it, it's been really fun seeing people tweeting some pictures at us too. So if you're on board with uh, the local Breckenridge brewery and uh, over here with BSN Denver, take a picture of yourself drinking a beer. I'll, I'll take one, send it back. We'll, we'll be watching games, especially when the team's out on the road here in a little while. Uh, and there is going to be uh, a big watch party for a Broncos preseason game, but there's also going to be baseball on television that night. Uh, I think it's August 24th. I need to double check on that, but I'm 90% sure it's August 24th. The Rockies will be on the road playing the Cardinals. We'll be hanging out at Blake Street Tavern. There'll be a lot of people watching Broncos, but I will be there ready to talk Rockies with you, ready to watch Rockies with you, and ready to drink Breckenridge brews with you. So make sure, I think it's got to be on the BSN Denver events calendar now. Head over there, check out the events calendar uh, to, to be sure on that. RSVP, come hang out with us. It's going to be a blast. And honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to the other sports getting started up too a little bit. I mean, right? Right? So uh, just just come have fun. I'm, uh, you're not going to want to miss those watch parties are so, so much fun. We're going to be giving away beers. We're going to be giving away tickets. We're going to be giving away shirts. So there's extra incentive to come hang out with us. All right. A couple of questions here before I go to the break. Sam asks, did you see the athletics article about the Pirates and Clint Hurdle being an issue? I did not. Uh, that That's kind of an interesting one. You know, Clint Hurdle's one of those guys who you really love as a manager when everything is going well, and he's going to rub some people the wrong way when things are not. And it's going to depend on the personnel of your team. He has a, I'll use the word gregarious, uh, personality. And I think one of the reasons why guys love Bud Black so much is because he has a personality 
but it's not an overbearing one. And and I think Hurdle sometimes, and he had this issue in Colorado, despite the fact that he managed the most exciting season in Rockies history, he there was that whole situation in 2009 where it was just too much for some of the guys. And you add it with the egos of people like Troy Tulowitzki, and you've got a very sort of combustible situation and of course famously the Rockies let go of Clint Hurdle brought on Jim Tracy who's just the polar opposite in terms of having an overbearing personality Jim Tracy's just everybody's best friend and you know there are debates about how good of a baseball manager Jim Tracy really was but he just let that team that was full of talent play and after letting go of Clint Hurdle they went on this extraordinary run into their best regular season win total ever in 09 and so it's difficult man it's just another reminder that baseball teams are kind of these living breathing organisms easy for me to say and from year to year the guy who everyone was saying oh this is our guy and we're ride or die there's no one i'd rather be in the trenches with than him you know two years later and you're 13 for 33 like the Rockies are right now, certain personalities start to wear a little thin. And it was the same thing with Troy Tulowitzki as a player. When the team was going well, everyone loved Tulo. He he forces us to be accountable. He shows up. He sets the standard for how hard we work. Nobody wants to win more than that guy. He forces us to be the best version of ourselves. When you're winning a lot, cool. When you're struggling and you're just not in it and, and it's like this time right now where you're not going anywhere you're still trying to win games but the last thing you need in a season where you've just been getting kicked around is to now have your own guy kicking you around uh so and i don't know that that hurdle was ever even necessarily that way but it doesn't surprise me i didn't see that particular article but it i think it's just again whether it's with personalities or sometimes with plays we've seen with guys like freeland and davis from year to year things can vary because it's still ultimately human beings playing a human being game. Uh, the human element will not go away with the implementation of the electronic strike zone because of stuff like this forever. It's always going to be a far more interesting part of the human element than calling balls and strikes. No, how does Clint Hurdle's personality impact a team differently when they're on a run versus when they're not? What's going on with Kyle Freeland or what happened to John Gray from year to year? Those are the human elements of, of the baseball game that uh, I should say of the game of baseball that we should all continue to celebrate. And then Chris asks if there's any word on Brendan Rogers injury and healing progress. There's nothing specific. I'd be really surprised if Brendan Rogers uh, gets back out there on a baseball field for anything maybe other than some off-season light workouts until next spring training. Uh, you, you just, at this point, there's no reason to rush him back. I still think he's a huge part of this team's future. He's very, very young. He has had some injury issues now, and it, and it's you know worth noting that. It's unfortunate for the young men, much like David Dahl. These are injuries that have very little, if nothing, to do with each other, but there have been a few of them now, and, and he's missed some decent chunks of time because of it. That said, uh, at 23 years old, having made his major league debut going into next season, having gotten a little bit of experience and, and really starting to come into his prime, he's got as good a shot as anybody 
to win the starting second baseman job, especially if Ryan McMahon is an option at first base. Well, I should say, especially because Ryan McMahon is an option at first base. And and then you can just see what you do with Daniel Murphy from there, if he's even still on the roster by then. But I think Brendan Rodgers, right now, if I was projecting the 2020 starting second baseman, I'm probably leaning toward Rodgers with McMahon moving to first base. Um, of course, the Daniel Murphy question is a big part of that, but it, it may be tough to, he's going to need a good spring training to make that happen. But yeah, Jill, Mac has really come on and, and he's not going anywhere. He's going to continue to be a major factor for this team. And one way or another, uh, you know, the, the one thing I will say is that McMahon has improved so much defensively and there are actually some numbers like by DRS, I think it is, that suggests Ryan McMahon has been the second best uh, defensive second baseman in the National League. And and that doesn't totally shock me, though I, I still see some things. He can improve going to his left uh, a lot, but he, he's made some really, really stellar plays. He's got a very strong arm for a second baseman because he came up as a third baseman. Uh, he's got a third baseman's arm. He's got the athleticism or a real natural instinct for the game. And he's more valuable to you if he's going to play that level of defense as a second baseman, unless one of these other guys really, really do emerge. And then he's an extraordinary, he's almost an embarrassment of athletic riches. If you can put him at first base and he plays a capable defense there, I will say, I think he's going to need some time to get the feel of the first base position back into him we saw earlier in the season uh for when daniel murphy was out with the thumb thing a couple of times when mcmahon had to play first and there were a couple little awkward plays including one that ended up getting him hurt and on the il for 10 days uh, on a throw that to, to, i mean it was nolan arenado's throw pulled him off the bag but uh, he probably could have done a little bit better job of going out and getting that ball and making sure he didn't get hurt if he was had a few more reps in at first base so it'll also be interesting to see if the Rockies do any of that down the stretch this year. But, of course, they got to keep showcasing Daniel Murphy, either to feel better about him being on the squad next year or to try to make a, a move to trade him in the offseason. I do think he's one of the, the best candidates for a potential trade that the Rockies could even still get some value out of and, and feel fine uh, moving in that direction, precisely because of what we've seen out of Ryan McMahon this season. All right, I'm going to take a quick break here, come back on the other side of it and read through some of these really fun memories of times all of you have been proud to be Colorado Rockies fans. Hey, if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how to be a mature, refined adult, or you just really like wine, you have to check out my friends over at Weinster. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America today. What makes Weinster special is that the majority of wineries they work with are too small to attract the attention of retailers, meaning not only are you getting access to some delicious and hard-to-find wines, you're also supporting real people making real wine, not one of the few large corporations producing most of the wines available in stores. With Weinster, all you have to do is sit back and relax as they curate a hand-picked shipment from the best small wine producers in the U.S. Then, when you fall in love with a couple of wines, as a club member, you can have them sent right back to your door with no shipping cost. 
I especially love Weinster because it was founded by three CU Boulder alums. So sign up today with the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment of wine and start being a real grown-up. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer like entire team instruction and fitness programs you know the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge positive attitude work ethic and fun that their summer camps provide your child will want to play on one of their teams check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more all right, welcome back into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm going to jump right in here to a couple of fun comments on the Twitter responding to a prompt I sent out that admitted it's been quite a rough season. So I wanted to run down memory lane with some of you and times where maybe it wasn't quite so rough and it was a great memory or maybe even during the tough times there were still moments that stuck out to you as Rockies fans. This one comes from Shayna, who says, either being at Charlie's game 162 cycle last year or watching the game and hearing we had four all-stars this year. Love my rocks, no matter how much they hurt me. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the four all-stars thing, Shayna, because I feel like that's, you know, one of those things that it's easy for some people to skim over or roll their eyes at and, and act like it's not, a big deal, but having that kind of national representation is a big deal. And it is also a reminder of the core that this team has that they can continue to build around and the jerseys that you can go buy and feel confident that those star players are going to be players that your kids can look up to for years and years and, and be proud to root for. And they represented very well at the all-star game. And while it's been a down year, if the Rockies come back next year, the way I really think that they can, it's just another part of establishing them as a legitimate national presence. Ali says, during the 07 run, my dad took me to a playoff game that went way past my eighth grade bedtime, and I fell asleep in class the next day and had to explain to my teacher why. He said, okay, it was worth it. That's a great story. It's always nice when uh, the the teachers are there with you. That actually reminds me of you. Some people are going to be right with me on this, but anybody ever watched that show, Boy Meets World as a kid? There's a 90s kid story for you, but there was an episode of that show, which was one of my favorites as a kid, where uh, 
this exact thing happens. The main character, Corey, right? He, he, his dad keeps him up late to watch an important, I think it was a no-hitter. Someone was someone for the Phillies because that's where they're from is throwing a no-hitter. And he keeps him up all night to watch the game, and he falls asleep the next day in class, uh, messes up a test, and then there's a whole thing about getting the teacher to, to come to understand these moments and, and the importance of them. And it's great when a teacher can take that step back and go, you know what, yeah, spending a little bit of time uh, basking in a moment and experiencing history with a loved one is absolutely valuable. Uh, needs to be pointed out, I, I suppose I would say. Um, there's another one that came in here from, I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Chiara says, April 16th, 2013, it was 28 degrees. Rockies won over the Mets in overtime, 9-8. to eight. I like that, in overtime. 9-8, uh, we were only we were the only ones in our section because it was so cold. Got super sick after, but it was super worth it. Went to the game with my now husband. I was a senior in high school at the time, and she also sent a picture. That's fantastic. So, again, a year, 2013, where the Rockies really didn't do anything, and she's out here sitting in 28-degree weather watching a game that had to go into extras that the Rockies did come out and get for her with a 9-8 to eight win. So that, that's pretty fantastic, and they look absolutely freezing but still happy and adorable in this picture. Congratulations to the two of you on, on being the most freezing cold and adorable Rockies fans on today's episode of the podcast. Uh, hockey is bay, so apparently not baseball is bay, but still, hockey is bay sends in now, there isn't a moment I'm more proud than anything else. There's the playoff wins, the pennant, Cargo and Nato's cycles, Helton's bomb to top off uh, the nine spot in the ninth. This team has amazing memories, but we'd sure like to have some more, preferably sooner than later. Uh, yeah, I think everyone's feeling that way, to be sure. But th those are some great moments that you point out as well. I'm sure a lot of people remember those, where they were, and all of that. Uh, Carol sends in, of course, the 2007 NLDS to be in the stands when Mike Coolbaugh's young sons threw out the first pitch. The power outage, the temp drop, the most magical night as a fan, and to witness it with my son, hub, hubby, and dad. As a fan, I will never outdo that night. Yeah, Carol, it, it, it was a magical night. I remember it well. I was also there. Uh, I was there by myself, and I think it's the only sporting event that I've ever attended by myself. And I've, I've probably told this story on the podcast before, or certainly it's, it's the abridged version of the story. There's no way uh, to do it. But the, I'll get over the difficult part quickly by just saying I was, a, I was at a very hard time in my life and uh, didn't have a lot of people that I could you know think to go to the baseball game with. But I wanted to be at that one. They had taken the first two in Philadelphia. There was a chance the Rockies were going to win a postseason series. Never done this before, and I wanted to be there. I had watched every single game that year. Uh, been on board the early emergence of Ubaldo Jimenez who pitched in that game. I remember the power outage vividly like it was yesterday. I also remember being really, really cold and only having a T-shirt and having to go buy a sweater that said the wildest card on it for uh, the Rockies. And so, you know, my family had 
come into town for the final stretch, those last couple of games against the Diamondbacks and uh, game 163. But by the time the NLDS was around, uh, I was just uh, I just had to go. And I think I paid 100 bucks for a ticket to be just up the third baseline. And Carol, just like you, it, it was a night I'll never forget, uh, a game I'll never forget the sensations of it, all of it. It was, uh, you know, Jeff Baker with the single through the right side, Shane Victorino pulling one just over the scoreboard in right to get the Phillies on the board after Ubaldo Jimenez basically shut them down all game. I mean, it was just, just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. Josh writes in, last season I got to go to a Rockies game at Dodger Stadium. I was the only Rockies fan I saw anywhere near my section. I was loud, rowdy, and upset everyone around me. Well, there you go, Josh. Had a baby. Way to get it done. Uh, <laughs> out there doing doing some work for the Rockies. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to say this. So Tornado Kissel, I think, says, how about how damn excited I got today when I saw that my team has a three-game weekend set in Minnesota next year? Again, another reminder that it's just nice to be able to go to a Rockies game. I think one of the things that's been so great about doing this podcast and interacting with so many of you on Twitter is that I've gotten a deeper appreciation for what it's like to be a Rockies fan who can't just go to a ball game whenever you want, who can't just say, hey, you know, they got $4 rock pile seats. I don't have anything going on this evening. I'm just going to go down to the game. If you're living in places where that's not the case, it becomes clear how often a lot of people take that ability for granted. Uh, you know, and our friend Nikki from Austria is one of the people who, you know, really helped me understand that more and more as well is is the privilege that comes with just kind of living around the area and being able to go to games. And so, you know, when people get really down, it's worth remembering, yeah, if you live in Minnesota and the the Rockies don't get out that way very often, it doesn't matter. You know, the 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 other stuff all it, it continues to matter, but Kyle Freeland's ERA and Wade Davis's ERA and who they should and shouldn't get rid of and all these other things for a three-game set, they're not going to matter to Tornado Kissel because the Rockies are in town and he gets to go watch some baseball and gets to personally go and cheer for his team. Like, just worth remembering. I, I love stuff like that. Kyle says, in 2012, I went to a Sky Sox game. I saw LeMayhew, Blackman, and many others play. After the game, I actually got to meet Chuck, and it was one of the coolest experiences I've had in regards to pro baseball. That's a great story. And that's a, another uh, thing, too, about going to minor league games. You, you can sometimes get that kind of access to the players. You can meet them. It's a little easier to do stuff like that. And anytime, I think I've made this analogy before as well, but anytime you get to meet uh, a, a ball player like that, uh, it's early on in their careers or you get to see them early on in their careers. It's a lot like seeing a, a great band when they're just playing at a half empty room somewhere. And then a few years later, they're a household name and everyone's singing all their songs and you're going, man, I knew these guys back when no one knew their names. And it, th there is a cool feeling that comes along with that. And when their players as good as Blackman and LeMayhew, that's that's pretty amazing. So thank you for sharing that story with us, Luke. All right. I'm going to 
wrap this one up here because I've got to get down to the ballpark as soon as I can. Record more podcasts, write more stories. I got something coming up on this whole juiced baseball phenomenon, so be on the lookout for that at bsndenver.com. Make sure you're following us on social media at BSN Rockies, at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook, whatever podcast app you happen to be using. As I mentioned earlier, those little one-sentence reviews really do help us out. They help people find us. Uh, they go a long, long way. So if you can take a few seconds out of your day to do that, I personally will very, very much appreciate it. And I'll read it. I will definitely see it. So that's that's another fun part of it, too. All right. Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. This episode on the BSN Podcast Network is brought to you by Total Beverage. With more than 70,000 square feet between their Westminster and Thornton locations, there's literally no drink you can't find. I love Total Beverage. I go there probably once a week. That's BSN Sales Director Lindsay Sauer. She's a regular at Total Beverage. I know when I go in there that I am going to get uh, the best bang for my buck, hands down. And if you can't make it in the store, don't worry. Just go to totalbeverage.net and place an order online. I have also taken advantage of their delivery service. They always give me, um, you know, an hour window. I don't have to wait around all night or all day. And make sure to like the Total Beverage Facebook page to see weekly specials. Remember, for wine, beer, spirits, go to Total Beverage.